Thanks for joining us as a listener to our Hidden Kingdom podcast. With each episode, I'll be talking to speakers, poets, songwriters, artists, entrepreneurs, and friends I've made down through the years as a worship leader, hearing their stories and how they communicate in their various spheres of influence. These are conversations to inspire us to think more deeply and more imaginatively about how we use our own gifting to make known facets of the hidden kingdom to the modern world. With her distinctive singing voice, Sue Rinaldi has graced many an album, both as a solo singer-songwriter and formerly as a member of the influential Christian band Heartbeat. Alongside being a concert artist, she travels internationally, encouraging and provoking others to be more creative in their own expressions of music and worship. Sue is an excellent communicator, lively and thoughtful in her observations, and we had a great chat covering such areas as the importance of seeing more women in the music ministry, identity, and the developing role of technology in corporate worship. So it's really great to have Sue uh, with us today to our Hidden Kingdom series and I'm looking forward very much to chatting to you. Welcome Sue. Thank you, very nice to be here. We've known each other a long time, have we not? <laughs> yeah, don't start counting because it could get <laughs> quite large. We've gone through all those uh, seasons and, and times mm -hmm. of... Um, yeah, the growth and development, and sometimes those times of growth and development aren't always the seen ones, the, the periods of uh, fruitfulness. Sometimes they're the sort of barren times, and we've gone through all that in, in, our, own, in our own journey. But you have such a, a wide range of, of skills, and um, hopefully we're going to do justice to some of that in the, in the conversation we, we have. It was Mary Oliver, who is a poet that I very much... Um, appreciate who once said uh, what are you going to do with your wild and precious life and uh, I think for you Sue you've done an <laughs> awful lot of things with your wild and precious life uh, you know communicating singing songwriting all kinds of things um, but you don't come from any uh, Christian background like me really no no I don't uh, that's a great quote, by the way. What are, what are we going to do with our wild, precious life? And I think as soon as you said it, I thought, I'm still asking that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, from someone viewing from the outside, they would think, you've done a heck of a lot, Sue. Yeah, objective, subjective. Um, but yes, we'll, we'll probably come on to that in a while. The challenges of, of, that keep happening every, every year, certainly every decade, yes. that, that is still a challenge. But... But for your question, no, I, I didn't come from any church background, no Christian background. I would say it was, I don't know if it was typical, it, it felt fairly dysfunctional. Um, my parents were never there. I don't ever feel that I was guided. Um, I was allowed to just do my own thing. And I just grew up like that. I, mm. I found solace probably too early in my life in alcohol that was really what got me through the day mm -hmm. because I didn't feel looking back you know I can now analyze these things but certainly at the time of being a young child 
uh, I didn't really feel I had any any boundaries, any guidelines, any tutoring. And so I, I was very much a, a free spirit, mm. but I would say quite a tortured spirit. Mm-hmm. On the outside, I was probably the joker. I was like the ringleader. I was the one who would always come up in class with silly comments. Uh, but on the inside, I was this hugely reflective child who, um, at the age of probably about six, I would just sit on my bed and write poetry. I would imagine, uh, you know, and I'm not proud of this. This is just what happened. I I would sit there and just imagine things like death. And then I would try and write about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where this came from (laughs) Mm. because it didn't come from anything that that was um, provoked in my family. It it seemed to come from elsewhere, something Mm. else. Mm. Um, Perhaps I could put words on it now that, we know, I know that God moves and God often doesn't even use people or the situation you're in. There's something otherworldly about it. Mm. But at the time, I just sat and wrote lyrics. And, and then at the age of eight, I pestered my parents to buy me a guitar because I would love to watch Top of the Pops. And I remember seeing Joan Armour trading and uh, singing Love and Affection. And, and for heroes. me, it was like... Yeah, exactly. It's like there's this woman, you know, she doesn't fit the the bill in terms of, you know, it doesn't look like someone who would drum for the bangles or anything. Uh, And there she was just being emotive and just touching you. And and even as an eight-year-old child, I was just impacted by it. So I thought that's what I want to do. Mm. And that started a lot of things. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's almost like a bit of chaos there. But that sparked <laughs> off imagination, and I think creativity starts. You imagine oh. things. It, oh. uh, you know, you don't just write something that's going on in the it, 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 visibly. You write something that you imagine, and um, that obviously was being nurtured even in a very chaotic situation. So you picked up this guitar, and the poetry kind of connected with the music. Is that right? Yes, and, and I would buy um, books of chords of the, the bands that were in the charts. And this is taking us back. Like oh, what the are Se- some of those? Yeah, go on. Well, The Seekers. Oh, know, my. Morning, yeah. Morning Town Ride and yeah. um, Georgie Girl. I mean, this is, this is really, really going back. Mm. Um, and so I would literally just sit in my room and learn, learn chords. I taught myself the guitar, learned chords. And I just spent so many hours just in that kind of reflective phase. And I think that word you used, imagination, um, that's so powerful because I think in those days, (laughs) um, we weren't necessarily dumbed down by all the influences that come at us from gadgetry. Yes. Because now... We don't need imagination because, no. you know, your, your PlayStation does it for you or your laptop does it for you or your apps and your games do it for you. Mm. But certainly growing up, there was, there was none of that outward stimulus that took away your own personal imagination. So, mm. so I think we're probably on a, a, a challenge to regain imagination now mm. because I think it's harder to find it harder to develop it but certainly in those days i think that was right i sat there and i i was just imagining all kinds of situations storylines yeah that's it i mean it's like writing a song you start the gateway is something you see 
in front of you, but then you imagine and you walk in, oh, I wonder what that feeling, and let's explore that. And mm-hmm. so you go on and you go on. And imagination, I suppose, precedes manifestation, uh, to put it another way. You imagine mm-hmm. it and it comes alive to you. And obviously mm-hmm. I can see that as you've, you've developed in mm-hmm. your skill. Of course, you didn't come from any faith background, so how, where's the connection there? Well, when I was at a secondary school in Southampton, um, a Youth for Christ team came into my school hmm. and they were people like, well, Graham Kendrick was part of it. This yep. was this was way before the songs that he'd written like Shine, Jesus, Shine or Meekness and Majesty. This was when he was in his earlier kind of singer-songwriter folk yep. mode. Clive Calver, who headed up Youth for Christ for quite a long time, mm-hmm. was part of that team. But they came in and they did lunchtime assemblies and uh, concerts and everything. And it to begin with, it just freaked me out because they were talking about God and the Bible and they were doing it in a way that us teenagers could understand. And so I was attracted, but I was really freaked out because this was like totally outside of my paradigm. And I'd had presuppositions that Christians were generally old and they went to really boring churches and what did it have to do with me or life or, but some of my friends actually started to ask, questions about the faith and and became followers you know they said yes to whatever life this christian life was going to offer them mm-hmm. and so they they formed what was called a crusader class which is like a youth group faith youth group uh, it's it's around now but i think it's been rebranded as urban saints but at the time it was crusaders and they wanted someone to go in and sing their choruses which were like the early, early new songs, early contemporary yeah. songs. Yeah. And uh, they knew I could play the guitar and, and kind of sing. So they asked me to come in and lead their choruses. Mm. Now, as at that time, I hadn't made a decision for following Christ no. because I was still in that freak out mode. Yeah. Yeah. But I used to go in every week and lead their, lead their worship. Yeah. So it's not. <laughs> yeah, I know. Again, very nonconformist. Yeah. This good. isn't this isn't a blueprint for how worship leaders should develop. Um, but something happened. I, I belonged before I believed and mm-hmm. I could I could tangibly feel something when we were singing. There was there was there was something that, that changed me and I was part of that <laughs> even without owning up or committing my life to Jesus. And, and that went on for about a year. Mm-hmm. And then I felt I had to make a decision and I just took a little bit of a leap and uh, said, okay, this, this, this feels, this looks like it could be true. So, you know, it was hard for me to trust. I hadn't really developed a life of trust. Mm-hmm. So I did the best I could really and just started the journey. You started the journey and what a journey <laughs> it has been. I remember when I uh, first met you, Sue, I, it was, I came down with a friend of mine, Morris Smith, and mm. Southampton in those days. And then uh, I think I, hope, I think it was your second guitar. We went up to uh, 
we met up in London and we went to Tottenham Court Road to Tottenham Court Road for those listening is the sort of tympan alley it's the music seat where the, the centre of where all the guitars are in in the London area there's shop after shop after shop and we trudged through these shops looking for a your upgrade in guitar and I think that was the ovation wasn't it the yes that you bought in it the was. style of Joan Armour trading of course yeah uh, of course I remember that now. I'd forgotten that, Dave. That was, yeah. Well, that was early amazing. Of development. Yeah. You've gone on since. Now, when, one of the great features about what you do is your voice. When did you begin to realise that your voice, mm -hmm. you had a voice, and that your voice represented you rather than just being an acquire, mm -hmm. a, mass, a mass thing? Where, where, did that evolve mm -hmm. slowly? That's a good good question. Um, I think I just, it's funny really, but as I was kind of growing up and playing the guitar and writing songs, I almost felt like my voice and my playing and my songwriting were kind of like, they became one. Mm -hmm. And so I'd never actually um, franchised them off as, as separate. Mm. They just all came as a package. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, until I had to start to really think about it because, you know, I, I certainly growing up, I would just play anywhere. I, I remember doing so many outdoor concerts um, in front of Sainsbury's or whatever the supermarket was. Or, do you know what I mean? It was like wherever I could do it, I would do it. And as I got a bit older, I would not just do church stuff, but I loved doing wine bars and pubs and doing covers. And then um, I kind of formed a band. I think it was called Inside Out. Yes. And we, we did a few Christian festivals. Yeah. And I think it was then I had to start to take seriously what those compart those I'd compartmentalized. I hadn't compartmentalized it. So it all came as one. But then I had to start to think, oh, I need to improve here. I need to improve there. And I think it was then I started to think about my voice. Mm -hmm. And it was funny, really, because <laughs> this involves your wife, Pat. Yes. Um, because I always knew she did choirs and, and everything, and I would always like look at her enthusiasm and her um, how she how she brought people's voices out of them. And I remember after one concert with um, at this Christian festival, I sat down and she came next to me, and uh, we had this little conversation, and she challenged me, but in a really lovely way about developing my voice. Mm. Mm. And it was actually that was probably one of my. She, she might not even know this, the probably one of the most pivotal moments where I thought, oh, yes, I need to take that seriously. Cool. cool. And I started doing things like some singing lessons and yeah. uh, breathing exercises. Uh, I used to think that if you had singing lessons, you'd end up sounding operatic. So I had quite a lot of mental yeah, bridges to go through. Mm. Mm. And I think that's how I began to develop my voice. I listened to a lot of R&B. Um, growing up, I loved Annie Lennox and the Eurythmics. Yeah. So sort of that kind of R&B, kind of gospel, pop, soul was probably mm. my biggest influence on my voice. Because there's two things there. I think, you know, um, the great artists that I know and we appreciate, and I'm sure you would agree with this, are people who know they own who they are. You know who they are straight away. They, they don't necessarily need to be the great singers, but there is something about them 
that communicates. They own who they are. And um, I think you, as an artist, I hear it in your, your voice. I hear that, that, that this, this is Sue. This is Sue. You know, there's something very distinct. And I think for anyone listening who's starting to get into the arena of worship leading, but beyond just the local church, it's, a, it, it's important to, to actually own and say, this is me. I'm going to learn from all these these people, and you've 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 uh, reeled off a list of, of names. Uh, yes, learn from them, but ultimately, I'm going to be who who I am. And the other thing I think that, that is important, what you did bring up when you listed off those names, is they, they weren't all necessarily Christian influences. <laughs> you have a wider um, palette, don't you? You don't just listen to Christian music. No. Right? That's totally right. Um, uh, it, it's interesting because certainly when, when I started out um, singer-songwriter, then started to lead worship, we didn't have the industry that we have now. And I think looking back, it was perhaps easier to develop your own uniqueness mm -hmm. then because now we're confronted with such a such an industry, such a such a formula. Yes. I mean, we didn't have how to lead worship seminars in those days. We didn't have all the worship schools. Or, and I'm not. I'm not saying, you know, it shouldn't have happened like that. But, but it has grown so much. So in the early days, I think when I look back, I was allowed to use my imagination a bit more. I I had to lean into my own uniqueness whether i liked it or not and at times i really didn't like it mm -hmm. um because there wasn't such a a brand there wasn't such a formula that there is now mm. um and i think we've we've developed into this kind of cloning you know you've got to sound like this or you've got to look like this in order to have the worship formula or in order to to, to lead worship so uh, you know i think i think for me it's it's kind of I think that uniqueness has just kind of happened by chance, simply because there was a lot more freedom to develop. It was an open but, field and there wasn't a kind of furrow to go down. There wasn't a, yeah. a route that was, this yeah. is the way to go. It was, yeah. let's play in this field and see what happens. And uh, yes, um, some great creativity and I think it, comes out. Yeah, and it's about authentic, authenticity as well. Um, and, and as you said, sometimes it doesn't matter if you're the, the best or you've got the best song, whatever that means, or the best writer. Mm. If, if you really sing it from your heart and there's some kind of, um, there's some transcendence that happens. There's, there's just something that, if it's authentic, I mean, obviously we all love to craft our gifts mm. <laughs> and we do want to write mm. well and we do want to sing mm. well. But if you can put craft with, with authenticity, if you put those two together, then, then that's such an amazing cocktail. Mm. And I think I found that more outside of the CCM Christian music genre um, than within it. So that's mm. why a lot of my influences are people who wouldn't necessarily be in that genre. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it's interesting because your, your role is, is an A&R uh, in, in certain situations. <laughs> Um, but one thing I appreciate you is that it's not you, you don't define just the, the current sound as the sound because you know I know you're working with somebody who's got a strong operatic kind of voice and you uh, you've got uh, you know the more rock kind of thing uh, things going on 
it's diversity, isn't it, in our worship? Oh. And I think one of the things we've lacked is, well, we're very monochrome, aren't we? We find that, mm. you used the word formula, we find the one way of doing it and everyone copies because they think that's the way you've got to do it. Mm. The anointing comes that way, but actually there's a myriad <laughs> of different ways of expressing ourselves and um, yes, well done for, do, for doing that. Now, another thing about you, Sue, is... And in many ways, I think you are a pioneer uh, in that field. Although there were the Judy McKenzie and the Gwen Murrays and the Cindy Kents and the Sheila Walshes before you, you were kind of the first woman, even predating uh, Darlene Check, actually, that was kind of began to have profile in, in the worship arena. Um, and those other people I mentioned were high-profile people, but you, you somehow kind of straddled into that worship arena and bringing modern sounds, which I think is, is really brilliant. Do you think when it comes to women, we've made a lot of strides since that, those days, in women kind of beginning to come to the forefront, or do you think there's still a long way to go? I think there's been huge strides that have been made but I still think there's a long way to go. Uh, you're right, when I, when I sort of, um, in that Crusader class, stumbled across what happened when we, when we kind of unite our voices and our hearts and, and we see what God does amongst us, whether we call that leading worship or not, um, I think that started me on that path. I, I just love facilitating encounters with God. Mm. And that can be with people of faith or people of no faith. Because, you know, everyone has, has that understanding of, of something otherworldly, something spiritual. Mm. So I think in terms of leading worship, if we use that phrase, um, I think I was certainly in the UK, one of the mm. foremost voices, certainly with Heartbeat, the band that I was part yeah. of. And, you know, we did various things on major TV programs and, mm -hmm. you know, trying to just facilitate God encounters in... in in those domains, not just mm. in churches or, or whatever. And I think at that time when I, I was asked to lead worship at Spring Harvest, which is a, one of the main sort of multi-denominational Christian festivals, I think I was the first woman to lead worship on the big top. And, yep. and I guess that was kind of like a little aim of mine. And obviously motives get a little bit mixed up because it's like, yes, I would love to do that. But the other thing is, from a very early age, I've always had that innate thing of what it's not fair you know injustice it's just not and that was my words it's not fair mm. i couldn't understand why women were so shut out of certain domains or or they were attributed to be certain stereotypes or why is leadership always male and why 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 do women have to be three times as good as a lot of so so i think again that's been an innate thing within me that i've had mm. to develop refine at times um you know, get my motives right and, you know, some of my emotions right. But I think, I think a lot has been um, changed, mm. but there is still a long way to go. Now there's so many female worship leaders or singers yeah. and bands or, you know, church leaders. And so I have seen such an amazing shift. But talking to some of those women, they feel imposters. <laughs> you know, you get a lot of imposter syndrome, like, well, I'm a woman and I'm here, but I shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And so I still think there's a lot of work to be done, not only externally, but also internally. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. from women who are already in those situations but feel like an imposter that we shouldn't be here, that we've got in through the back door. So yeah. I think externally we've still got masses to do, but I think also internally we've got a lot to do as well. Mm. And, of course, it extends to band members as well, you know, because you, you think, yeah. oh, it's nice because we've got, we've got a woman leading the worship, but then you look and they're all male. All, all, the, all the guys are backing there. Um, yeah. There's a little bit of, um, yes. I've never, I never understood that. It's okay for a woman now to lead worship and to be backing vocalists yeah. and possibly be a keyboard player. Yeah. But I remember at Spring Harvest, I had a, a female drummer. Mm. I had a female um, lead guitarist, a female keyboard player. And it was funny because at the end, people would come up and I'd think, oh, they're coming up to say what a great time and great choice of songs. But they would come up and say, can I just speak to your drummer? <laughs> Because it, it visually made such a, a of statement course. that of actually course. Yes, drums yes. are not male, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, and yeah. slowly, slow, it probably even slower, the changes happen there because yeah. it's still a surprise. Mm -hmm. When it stops being a surprise, then we'll know that we've we'll know that, yeah. reached good yeah, change, yeah. yeah. And, and te technical stuff, people on yeah. the desk. Oh, of course. That's Same not thing. a male domain no, no. at all. And, and, and producers and, yeah. and engineers, mm. the whole kind of music thing, it, it's, it's just been so imbalanced. Mm. And I, I do feel very passionate about that. I always I have. I know. But it's, it's, I mean, the, uh, most of the songwriters that I really like, well, apart from the, the James Taylors and the Paul Simons, m many of them are women because they <laughs> see things from a different a different viewpoint from me sometimes mm. uh, so it's not just the fact of a physical woman leading the worship it's because that woman will just the way a brain works uh, will express in a different way to, uh, from from perhaps the way I would uh, which, mm. to me you know is so important in the diversity of, of what we're looking for now you have a grand title um, uh, uh, alongside some of your bio, which is this phrase, worship consultant. Oh, Unpack yeah. that for us, Sue. What does that mean? Yeah, the consultant word is kind of one that people go to because it would take too long to explain. <clears throat> um, essentially, I've, I've done a lot for the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years, 12 years, just traveling different countries around the world, basically just assisting other teams and bands. So you go in, uh, you listen to them and you take them through a development either artistically or maybe spiritually or in terms of their, their band dynamics. So you basically go in and they ask you for your advice and some, some churches, some bands, some teams I've, I've, I've journeyed with over the years, others it's just kind of a weekend or, uh, or even a day. But, but it's really that, just someone that they can go to who's got a little bit of experience and can bring somebody from one level to another yeah. level. So what are some common problems when it comes to, you know, what you face when you go in as a worship consultant? <clears throat> what are some of the issues? People beyond just what people are listening uh, are, are hearing. <clears throat> what, what are some of the, the, the things that you tackle? What are you looking out for? Um, I think first of all, and this is a really interesting one, I look at where they're positioned on the stage. <laughs> so a lot of it is team dynamics to begin with. Mm -hmm. And you'll be amazed at how many 
are just so wrongly positioned. I mean, obviously things have changed a little bit this year because of COVID, but let's <laughs> yeah. just talk about um, normal times. Yeah. You know, you'd have, you'd have people positioned on the stage where they couldn't see one another. You'd have the singers right in front of a, a guitar amp, which mm. is playing really loud, or just behind the drummer where all the cymbals and everything is just deafening them. Um, you'd have maybe a, a piano player, like on a real piano, um, with their back to everybody in the band. So it's almost like the first thing I do is, is like, so why is the sound so individual? Why is the sound not unified? Why aren't they finding some kind of synergy or togetherness? And I, I literally look first at where they're positioned. And, and there's been many places I've just totally changed everything around, mm -hmm. repositioned everyone so that people can hear one another and look at one another. So I guess the physical placement of people the others have been just developing listening. I think people sometimes when they're in a, a team, they only concentrate on their own, their own thing. And I remember one um, out, outdoor festival in, in Australia, actually. And I remember we had loads of bands from different churches and there was this one band and they had three or four backing singers who they all sang all the time, but they all, they all did ad-libs oh, all the time. Mm. And it was just like, this is, <laughs> is, is disastrous. Yeah. So I guess it's, it's looking out for things like that, you know, guitarists who do guitar riffs all the way through the song rather than picking their moment. Um, piano players that maybe do too much of a, a, a beat and a vibe, which is different to what the drummer's doing. So mm -hmm. you're kind of picking out all the kind of listening things as well and then you've got so they'd whole, be the very practical things yeah and then you've got a whole thing about you know what is the the sound i would think you know in your opposite what what is the sound of of, of of the group because you mentioned it we've got this facsimile kind of idea you just copy you know what but but there might be a, some beautiful classical musicians or an operatic <laughs> voice or something mm -hmm. so i guess Yep. Is it finding the strengths as well of that particular group and, and, and yes. developing a Yes, I think if I'm, if I'm with them for enough time, mm. it would be that. Mm. It, it would be, are these people being true to who they are as a mm. team? Mm. Um, or are they trying to sound like what they think they should sound like? Yeah. And again, that goes back to uniqueness. And I guess it's, I hope it's going to be my lifelong passion to not lose mine but to encourage others in their uniqueness. Cause I think we've, we've bought and sold it. You know, we've all been made it's so unique, absolutely unique, but along the way we lose it for so many reasons, maybe inferiority, maybe we've been criticized. Maybe we don't like our uniqueness. Maybe we don't think our uniqueness will be successful. And I think probably one of my journeys is to encourage people not to lose their uniqueness. Mm -hmm. I remember being in India and I was so excited on one of the trips there thinking this is going to be amazing because I love those, those kind of rhythms and the, yeah. the tabla and, and just what they create. And I went to this event and um, I, was, I was worship leading as well, but after a few other bands and I sat there and I almost cried because I thought I could be anywhere. I could be in South London. I could be, you know, anywhere that are trying to do Hillsong Jesus culture Bethel songs mm. and I was really disappointed because I thought where are they where, where are their authentic instruments mm. where are their own languages 
where where are their own vocal inflections which can be absolutely phenomenal mm-hmm. and i and i think i've journeyed with some of them over the years in india and i think what i've tried to do is just say look come on what what's what's deep within you why why do you feel you need to bury your uniqueness and and resurrect it in some kind of clothing that is a brand so yeah those things i always find very challenging mm-hmm. And talking of uniqueness, perhaps we'll come back to to the songwriting, Sue, the songwriting, recording, performing, <laughs> Sue, uh, mm. which, you know, you have a, a very illustrious, uh, you've had a very illustrious <laughs> career and made a number of very notable albums. Uh, perhaps walk us through, you know, a track that you're particularly fond of. Um, we can't play it as part of this podcast but we can do a link uh with the podcast so that people can can hear it on spotify so hopefully the track you're going to choose is going to be available on spotify so people can listen to it but um i'd be interested to to, if you chose a track to just take us through what the process was for you in 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 writing it how how it it emerged Um, yeah uh I mean, sadly, just just as a, a side note, I think this year um, somehow my creativity has been buried under a sea of admin oh, and yes. learning and learning how to do things differently. Different part <laughs> of the brain, I know. Yeah, it's a totally different part. Yeah, yeah. Um, and responding to different crises. Mm. But thinking back at my last album that I that I produced, which was called Ethos Volume One, mm. um, I think those songs for me, I. I am, I am, I wanted to write an album that I would want to listen to myself. Mm-hmm. So that, that's always a risk because a lot of the stuff I listen to isn't necessarily um, uh, branded. You know, it, it, it is the heart stuff. It, mm. It's ones, it's like really interesting chords or mm. arrangements. So, so I, I knew it was going to be risky, but I'd rather write art and songs that, that I, I can hold up and really feel good about mm. than just, you know, sell myself to a, a formula. And so I think in Ethos, there's probably quite a few songs, actually. Um, Carry You was written after a friend of mine was um, diagnosed with cancer. And I remember being in Norway and very impacted by this. And I just got my guitar and just started just um, putting down some kind of melody. So that's one song that means a lot to me. Um, another song would be called Stranger. And again, I, I was in Norway again, hmm. and um, I'd just come from watching a documentary about uh, people who uh, were trans. And one of the statements they made is, I feel a stranger to my skin. Hmm. And that phrase, stranger to my skin, just stayed with me. And I thought, actually, it's not just that documentary um, that, that it's true for, but sometimes so many of us can feel a stranger to our skin, uh, even in terms of maybe some of the anxieties or some of the eating disorders or, you know, the way we look at ourselves. How often do we feel that we, we don't feel like what we look like or what how others see us? So that's, that track, Stranger, is really dramatic. And the other one I think is, is Beloved because it's got such a... <laughs> a very sparse intro with, mm. with this kind of haunting piano mm. and then it full, full on goes into some beats in the chorus. And 
Um, a friend of mine, Caroline Bonnet, which I know you know as well, Dave, mm. <clears throat> she's incredibly super gifted in chords, arrangements, and how these songs work is I would have like a minute or a minute and a half at the most of an idea. <laughs> and I, at the most, sometimes it actually would just be a line and I would just record it and then I'd, I'd talk to her and say, look, this is how I see this. This is how I... And she would take that idea and, and she's really, you know, she's like an alchemist. She can just turn a very, very small idea in, into something yeah. amazing. So, so let's just take a, back, a, a step back on that. You say you had an idea. Is it with the guitar or is it just you're doing something around the house or driving and you get an idea and a phrase maybe? into your mind yeah i think all of those were phrases that would come to me um off off instrument because of something i've seen or something i've heard mm -hmm. so that stranger was a documentary um uh, beloved was when i was reading i think it was a book by brennan manning called abba's child great book great book great book and so that stays with me carry you was because of a a, a, a relationship um so often these come off instrument and they stay with me and then i just journal it i write it down yeah. and then i take to the guitar i realize sometimes that what i write on my guitar can be very limited to my chords that i know and the strumming patterns that are natural but i i do it record it a little bit and then for this album i just gave it to caroline and said mm. look take it, it do with it what you will yeah yeah and she does and she's as i said earlier she's amazing at putting chords and rhythms and arrangements mm. i mean i think that you know often some of the great songs just come from a little mustard seed of an idea we're always <laughs> thinking about the big idea oh i couldn't write that because it's got to be grand and it's got to be big and it's got to be complete but sometimes it's just one little phrase and you dig into it and you dig into it and you dig into it. And in your case, you gave it over to Caroline. She developed yeah. it, you know, uh, partnership, collaboration with people can be really, really, really good, really powerful. And mm. um, out comes something fantastic. I mean, can we, let's, should we major on that track, uh, Beloved? And uh, yes. encourage people to go and listen to that because I love it because I love the intro, it's sort of, you know, rings all my bells and then all, there's that <laughs> element of surprise you know it comes in yeah it becomes from something small becomes something grand and big and your emotions are suddenly stirred mm -hmm. um so anyone um, out there listening to this hidden kingdom uh podcast who wants to explore sue's music further i think that would be a great place uh, to start and investigate uh, investigate more the other thing about you sue is i think you're a great communicator you're very clear when you speak and, you, and your words and and um i know you write for different magazines uh you communicate clearly with with, with your words communication in our generation we almost need a bit of a shift in the way things are you know there's somebody i know you like uh, leonard sweet yeah. who uh said something uh something like if i can get it right um the world communicates in a very very different way from the, the way the church does the the 21st century uh world is a, is is a completely different step different pace to so much of what we do in our church 
Have you got any comment for that, um, you know, in the way we do church? Yes. Uh, again, I think looking back at my journey, I've never been truly in a box. So I've, I've always taken so many influences from so many different people, domains, writers, movies. And I think I've, I've kind of soaked, soaked in other people's ideas and, and wrestled with them. And I've never, ever been comfortable with, with church speak. And I think that's because for my early life, I didn't know anything about church speak. Mm -hmm. And when I heard it, I didn't understand it. And so that stayed with me so much. I've always wanted to be able to communicate in, in, in real words and not, not pick up phrases that just sound so strange, but also so misunderstood as well. So I think I've, I've always been open to ideas. I love fresh thinking. I'm a researcher, so I love researching and, and um, it, it doesn't worry me if I have to throw what I've thought has been true, uh, to just throw it up in the air. And, and not hold on to things. Um, I don't always think I'm right. I might be passionate about things, but mm -hmm. I'm, do you know what I mean? I'm, mm. I'm really a very, I'm very happy with things just being up in the air mm. without even being defined because things aren't always um, question answer. Things can't always be defined. And, and I think I've always had a real interest in the future and that, that has remained. And so I think my, my, my interest in, in, in ideas, never settling, um, changing language. I mean, I'm fascinated about the future, AI, hybrid, robotics. So I'm, I'm always there ahead thinking, yeah. right, that's coming. How's it going to change us? So, so what, what do we need to think about? What do we need to throw up into the air and reconsider? And you love your technology, don't you? You yes. love all that. And uh, do you think it's a good thing that we're introducing more technology into church services? I mean, many people are getting into, uh, you know, the the uh, the zoomed style because we have to. Um, mm. When when all this, when we finally get through all this, do you think there'll be lessons that we've learned about communication um, mm. that, that will be take us forward a little bit more in, in the way we do church? I hope so. I, I think technology on the whole, I love it. I do think though that sometimes there's a cost to loving it, mm. a bit like I said earlier. Mm. Nowadays it's, it's, it's noticeable that, that there's not so much free imagination or free play amongst children because everything can be done for you. Yeah. Well, I think that's the danger for us as well. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I think there's a lot of ethic, ethical questions as we go forward. Um, and certainly in technology and church, is it going to make us lazy? Uh, is it going to make us spectators? Is it going to stop us um, uh, doing new things, you know, continuing our creativity? So I think we should always embrace it, but I think we also need to discern what it is we're embracing yeah. and see some, of, see some of the danger signs as well. Because there's that temptation with the technology that we get so locked into doing, you know, working it all out in advance. This, this is great. This is great. And then the Holy Spirit moves 
and we don't know what to do because we've got our program and we've got our technology all worked out. Now, that is always the challenge, isn't it, for, for all of us? Uh, yes. It's all this sorted out and then suddenly everything is thrown up in the air. So we need to keep moving uh, with the crowd. And it's this element of participation, I think, you know, is, is very important in the way we do our worship. Mm. Easy I think to... it's to do, sorry, Dave, I think it's to do with who is serving who. Yes. I think once, when we become a slave to technology, mm. that's when we should ask questions. Mm -hmm. But if technology is serving, serving us and, and aiding us to maybe develop, to improve, then I think that's, that's a different story. But, you know, I've seen, I've seen worship teams when they've got all the loops and all the tracks and, and everything, and they all look like, they're, they're trying so hard just to just to still hear the track in their yeah. in their yeah. in their earplugs that they have they've forgotten that in front of them is 300 people they've yeah. forgotten how to communicate with people because they're so slaved yeah. by, by by this track i think i think then we've got to ask questions yeah <laughs> yeah that's right and asking questions is what you do well so you have had an illustrious career and will continue we look forward to the next uh, recording when it does come, when we're out of all <laughs> this. And what is it? What ethos? Your last album was ethos. Ethos V1. So it's on Spotify V1. and all the digital platforms. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah. So maybe an ethos V2. <laughs> That's <laughs> what we are hoping. In, in yeah. fact, Caroline and I were thinking of doing some instrumental um, versions mm. of some of the songs simply because mm. some of the arrangements are just so it's so good and I love instrumental music as well so hmm. um so yeah we, we've talked about a few things and it's just getting down to doing it really hmm. Hmm. this has been a very strange year it certainly has for us all but you know pushing us into new directions maybe new ways of doing church and maybe new ways of communication sometimes succeeding well and sometimes not doing so well but <laughs> learning I mean, for me, it's been a sharp learning curve, all, the, all this stuff, but um, we push out and we see. And certainly, you know, the old days of music in the way that it was manufactured, first of all, records, CDs, um, mm -hmm. uh, now it's digital, but of course, you know, Spotify and all these the different ways of communication, the way we do music mm -hmm. uh, is going to bring out, I think it's the opportunity for us to do fresh things, you know, uh, not be confined by just what we see the market forces doing, but to experiment and to get out and do some, some fresh, exciting things, of which you do so well, Sue. So thank you so much for being well, thank you, our guest on Hidden uh, Kingdom. And um, Sue, you've given us lots to think about. <clears throat> Inspiring you. words, challenging words, and words that I hope help us go beyond just the perimeters that we've got about ourselves and about the way we think worship should be and creativity. Uh, you've contributed a great deal this afternoon, so thank you very much indeed. And uh, God bless you. Yeah, thank you very much.